0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. Sowing and reaping. Why in the world is your pastor want to talk about farming? Why is he bringing up this whole series of sowing and reaping? And I want to give you my two main reasons right, right from the beginning. And, uh, and, and so we're really upfront about this, okay? Here's the number one reason why I wanna talk about sowing and reaping. Are you ready for it? Come on, lean in. Here's the reason you, my friend, are a farmer. That's the number one reason. You're a farmer. Now, you may not think you're a farmer because you don't tend the land and, and you don't maybe have, you don't wear your overalls real often, you know? Uh, you're not in a combine or you're not uh, herding the, the cattle. But you are a farmer. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you, every day you're planting and most likely harvesting what you or others have planted. As individuals, each day we're sowing into the character of our lives or we're tending to the quality of our soul. I love what Psalms 1 says. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but finds his delight in the word of God. And in his word will he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree. Listen to this. It's sowing and reaping. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of flowing water. And his leaves also shall not wither. But catch this, this promise. Whatsoever he does, Scripture says, it will prosper. There's something about this this universal law of sowing and reaping that I want you to understand. It makes a difference in your personal life, who you are and who you're going to be. And if you're married, you know what? Each day you're sowing and tending to what you've sown in your relationship with your spouse. I mean, some of you are realizing it even as I'm talking about it because you're experiencing crop failure, You're not happy where your marriage is. And you know, man, if things continue the way it is, you're going to harvest something that's not healthy for your kids or for your relationship. And as parents or grandparents, you know what we're doing. Every day through our decisions, through our words, through our behavior, we are sowing into our kids. We're sowing into who they will become and what they will value. And much of the time... Through while we're raising them, we're actually getting a chance to reap what we've sown. And some of us aren't really happy with that either. See, sowing and reaping is a big deal. You're a type of farmer regardless of your business or your calling. Okay, so the first reason is you are a farmer. Here's the second reason why. I want to talk about this in our series. And we're going to unpack this over the next three weeks. You cannot cheat the law of the harvest. You can't cheat it. I have witnessed so much pain and heartbreak as a pastor that wasn't necessary. I've seen friendships estranged. I've seen marriage couples bitter. I've seen fathers who have no relationship with their children. I've seen young adults treat their walk with God as a backup, all because of what was sown in their lives. See, farming, I know, is, is hard work. You talk to any farmer, and they'll, matter of fact, they'll probably be so humble about it, they say, no, nah, we just love it. You know, but we're talking, it's hard work. And nobody in our culture really wants to embrace what, it, what, you know, what will be difficult. We aren't willing to get our hands dirty now for what could be a lifetime of fulfillment and purpose. Instead, here's what we do. And just be honest with yourself. We sacrifice character for convenience. We value instant gratification over faithful persistence. We live in self-denial while never denying self. We blame others... For our circumstances, lest we be the offender. And we ignore opportunities to plant something new because we fear change. See, you're a farmer and you can't cheat the law of the harvest. You never can. Go with me to Galatians chapter five. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Oh, come on, more than five of you can put your hands together. Woo. We love God's word. Paul's talking to the church in Galatia, chapter 6. I'm just going to highlight two verses this weekend. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? Corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Okay, so that word deceived that we just read, do not be deceived. Uh, in the Greek, it carries with it a metaphor of one being led astray or misinformed with the intent of taking you down a path that never helps you get where you originally wanted to go. The statement, now some of you kind of geek out on, on some of this and some of you are like, I don't really care, but, but it's kind of cool if you really think about it. The, The statement is in the present passive imperative, which means you have to stop being led astray or choose to not allow it to happen. See, in other words, the present and passive voice anticipates a constant threat. In other words, every single day, someone or something or the enemy himself is trying to sow deception in your life. And you have to make a choice. You have to be alert. You have to know what is a lie versus what is the truth. And you've got to be able to be on your toes and, and, and make sure that when it comes to farming in your life, when it comes to you treating the land of your soul, that you're planting what God wants to be planted and not being deceived. This passage actually actually harkens back to Genesis in the garden when Adam and Eve were deceived and the enemy questioned God's word. Did God really say, you won't die? See, deception wants you to believe a lie that would lead to death. The way Paul puts it in the passage we read, he said it's sowing to the flesh and it leads to what? Corruption, corruption. The second statement in verse six says, God will not be mocked. And this carries the picture of turning your nose up and showing contempt to God. If you're a Christ follower in the house, you need to know this. God takes deception personal. Takes it personally. It's an affront to his character and who he is and what he wants for your life. And so you cannot mock God. I mean, just there's consequences. If you're going to break the law of the harvest, or if you're going to think for some reason you can cheat the law of the harvest and the principles of sowing and reaping, then you're in for a huge surprise and a major disappointment. I mean, consider the law of gravity. I mean, if you try to defy it, you will lose every time. You don't have to know Newton's formula of gravity to understand that what goes up, what? Will come down. If you climb up to a 12-story building and you step off that building, I don't care what you're telling everybody else around you or what you've been telling yourself, you're going to fall. And the consequences are going to be painful. And some of us, we keep reaping and reaping and reaping, blaming, 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 never really understanding that what we're trying to do is cheat the law of the harvest. And God wants us to begin to identify some seeds that have been planted that need to be rooted out and some new seeds that need to be Planted in a good soil of our heart. Come on, somebody. Someone say amen. I love how Paul uses a special word here. He says, whatever one sows. Whatever one sows. See, this is, this is an all-inclusive statement. It's not just geared for those of us who physically work in the agric- agricultural world. He's saying you can take this principle of sowing and reaping, and you can find applications to your your family life, to your personal life, to your workplace, in your church. There's principles that are so nuanced with sowing and reaping, and we're going to try to unpack some of those over the next three years. And I think it's so cool that we recognize that Paul gives us hope. But what this is showing us is that, that while we're yet saints, that nature in us, we still have a choice to make. We can sow to the old man. And that's going to reap corruption, and you're going to have consequences. Uh, You're going to find death in relationships, death in your soul. You're going to find death when it comes to um, what you're going to pass on to your family or to your friendships. Or you can choose to sow to the Spirit, which brings life. So we have this choice. We have this choice. So what I'd like to do over the next three weeks is, is unpack all the principles associated with the law of the harvest with sowing and reaping. And I'm just going to kind of, just kind of tiptoe into it this weekend by giving you two specific principles associated with sowing and reaping, and then we'll unpack more in the weeks to come. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. We reap only what has been sown. Sowing and reaping. We reap only what has been sown. Stop and think about this for a second. All life comes from what has gone on before us. In other words, by the labor and the sowing of others, we are who we are today. What we reap was planted either naturally or purposely, either by God or by man, either for positive or for negative results. So we reap what others have sown, good and bad. So let's just focus for a minute on what we reap that's good that others have sown. Let's just start with what's real obvious because you're here in a a church. I'm so grateful for what Jesus Christ has sown sown into my life. I love what Romans 5.8 says. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I mean, I wouldn't be here as a pastor if Jesus hadn't rescued me. Some of you, man, we need, that's, you know what, that's enough right now. For us to say, thank you, God, and not leave this place. Just end our service with praise. Being grateful for what God has done in our soul. What God has done in our life. and our Man, he's rescued me. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, Jesus, he talks about the sowing and reaping. In John chapter 4, verse 38, Jesus says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Now, this is in the context of evangelism, but he's applying this principle that we're talking about, that we're, we're all enjoying the labor of others that have gone before us. It's not just Jesus. It's other people. Folks, we are building on those who have gone before us. We are, man, you know, we need some gratitude in the house. I mean, here we are having service, and the police aren't crashing in stopping us from having service. I think of our country. I know that we are not a perfect country and our history is scarred with deep injustices. But if you've traveled the world as much as I have, I've been to over 40 countries. You would know that we are a pretty fortunate, privileged people. Not everybody, but as a whole, as a country. And it's only because so many have labored to help America get better. We're not done. But thank God for those who've gone before us. You know, I I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I had a praying grandma. I don't think I'd be here today if my grandma Combs wasn't praying for me, man. Do you know how powerful your prayers are and and the prayers of those who have gone before us? We're, We're living, enjoying the labors of others. I would love if this week you would contact two people who have sown in your life for the good. Could be a parent, but maybe it was a teacher. And I want, I'm gonna encourage you, focus on somebody who doesn't get a lot of limelight, who, is, who saw something in you that no one else did. Or maybe it's a friend that's been persistent in your life lately and just sowing faith in you and, and encouragement in you. Just two people, at least two. Okay, so I've talked about what we reap, how we reap the good from others, but let's, we can't get away from this we also reap the wrong of others that have sown in us. Let's face it, this is true with our upbringing and our families. What our parents intentionally and unintentionally sowed into our lives has impacted all of us. We reap a certain amount of wrong no matter how well intended our parents were. Some of us, we're, we're, we're actually healthier because our parents and the dynamic within our home life was healthier. Some of us, we're reaping some unhealthy things because we came from a very dysfunctional home. Now, I'm going to talk for a moment here about my father, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you. And this is a little bit challenging for me because my dad was my hero. But my dad was not a Christ follower. And my dad had some glaring weaknesses. He was a very impatient man. So I find myself sometimes having this conversation with God. God, I want patience, and I want it now. Sometimes I, 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 I'm maybe driving the staff or I'm, I'm leading in a way that man, I want to and I'm realizing that I'm reaping what my father has sown in our home all my life. My dad was an alcoholic and he could be a mean alcoholic and he was drunk. He wasn't what you would typically think as maybe someone who is an alcoholic. He was what probably people would classify a business alcoholic, but I cannot remember a night when I was younger, I couldn't remember a night when he wasn't drinking a six or 12-pack. He later had the gut to prove it. But as I got older, throughout my high school days, my dad had moved from beer to scotch. And many times he'd fall asleep with a glass of scotch in his hands. And there are people in the house today, some of you, you know, there's people that talk about generational curses. And I, I don't want to talk about the theology of that, but I want to talk about the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping with that. And there are some things parents have so sown in us that we can go down the same roads. I'm telling you, I'm breaking the cycle of alcoholism in my life. My dad's dad, my dad's dad was an alcoholic, died from drinking too much, destroyed his liver. The only thoughts I remember of my grandpa was his hand shaking so much. But I'm telling you, there are others in the room, you know what I'm talking about, you to this day, man, you have difficulty in relationships because what was modeled for you in the home some of you have difficulty with finances because no one ever taught you to budget. You're, you're harvesting that lack of discipline. Some of you are so pessimistic, but it's not because by nature you're pessimistic, although, yeah, we can be born with certain temperaments, but some of us were pessimistic because we grew up with a critical mom. And so we're harvesting some of this stuff, and, and it's heavy, and for some of us, it's hard to get excited. It's hard to believe the best is yet to come because of the influence of our parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate, your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Folks, I was exasperated as a kid, and I was never trained in the Lord. I, no one taught me how to pray. My folks never modeled for me what it was like to come to church on a regular basis. I didn't know what it was like to have to, you know, to actually be honest with myself about my own sin and confess it to somebody in order to be freed from it. That was never modeled for me or demonstrated for me. And I'm telling you, the aftermath or the reaping of what takes place in our lives at not being raised in a Christ-centered home is destructive. Studies have shown that, man, kids receive their self-worth, their sense of self-esteem from what they believe their own parents think of them. Now, I know my parents loved me. And to be fair, they were just kids who had kids, and they were probably doing way better than their parents did. But I know my self-worth was, was, was definitely tethered to what I thought they thought of me. And sometimes I didn't know what they thought of me. And there's some of you, you have absent fathers or you never had a father. And, and, and I've seen, I can't tell you the young ladies I've talked to that kept looking for love because they never found what real love was in the home. We're, we've, we've reaped what, what others have sown in our lives through their absence, through words they say, Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Parents, you know what you say to your kids? It's either life or it's death. Some of you this day aren't just harvesting what some of your family life was like with mom and dad through an absent father. Some of you, you you're harvesting having lived in a legalistic church environment or having been bullied in a workplace or had to do life with an abusive authority figure. And I'm telling you, God wants to begin to break some of the mindsets, whether it be generational curses or it be things that others have sown in you for the negative. God wants to break them. He wants you to identify them, to know how to root them up, but eventually plant the kind of seed that gives you hope. And folks, we live in a society that's not helpful. It isn't just our parents, it, it, it's, it's, it's the media, it's educational system, it's in t- entertainment world, it's other authorities who unfortunately have sown wrong into our lives. And I'll be honest with you, if I just, if I just stayed here, it feels really heavy, right? I mean, we're, we're living with what a lot of other people have sown in our lives, and some of it's not good, and it's like, wow, thanks a lot, pastor, I'm out of here. But I want you to remember what I brought up at the very beginning of this series. Remember who you are, you are a farmer, So you get to choose, starting today, what your harvest is going to look like. You don't have to just live with what others have sown. You get to choose what you're going to sow. And you get to choose what other people's lives are going to look like because you're going to choose good seed to sow in their lives. But you've got to make that choice, which kind of brings me to the second principle. And it's simply this, we reap what we sow. In other words, what you plant is what you get. Imagine a farmer planting corn and expecting wheat. It's crazy. Some of us, we keep want an ideal marriage, but we're not doing anything to really sow for an ideal marriage. And, and really, it's crazy. But the distance between sowing and harvesting sometimes is so great that we're not, we're not putting the causation factor together. We're not seeing the, the, how, how it, the consequences are directly related to what we're sowing now. Here's my hope for you, that... This month, you will begin to identify the kind of seeds that God wants you to plant. And I want you to begin to think of what kind of harvest you want at the end of 2023. Do you know that prayer is a means and a way of sowing in others' lives and in your own life? I love what P.T. Forsythe said, Prayer is the highest use of which speech can be put. Wesley, John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army said, prayer, pray as if everything depended upon your prayer. You see, prayer is weakness leaning on his omnipotence. And Satan, some of you don't get this, but Satan trembles when he sees the weakest among us on our knees. See, prayer is both a means for sowing and it is sowing. Ian Bounds said, man, you know, you know, man, talking to men about God is great. But talking to God about men is even greater still. You see, through intercession or praying for others, that's another way of saying praying for others, we get to sow hope into other people's lives. When you develop a daily time in prayer, not just once in a while, not just a Hail Mary, but a daily time in prayer. You're sowing into your future spouse if you're single. You're sowing into your kids and your kids' future spouse. You're sowing into our community. In Ezekiel, the prophet is being used by the Lord. And the Lord says this, I I searched the whole land for somebody to stand in the gap. And it's referring to a broken down Um, wall. Walls protected communities. And, And the city wall was broken down. And God's using it as a metaphor. And he says, I looked for somebody amidst all the brokenness in the world, somebody who would stand in the gap, and I found not one. But what if God could look at Christ's place church and he could find 3,000 saying, here I am, Lord, I'll learn to pray. I'll daily pray. I'll stand in the gap for my nation. I'll stand in the gap for my family. I'll break the generational curses. Lord, I'll stand in the gap for my church. I'll stand in the gap for the people that I know are my friends. But it starts with a daily prayer time. You can sow into other people's lives through prayer. You know, you can also sow health into your own soul. It's a powerful way to to break up fallow ground, to dislodge stuff that isn't healthy for you. That's why Paul, when he was talking to the church in Philippi, he said, man, he said, be anxious about nothing. And folks, they're being persecuted. They're being killed. He says, be anxious about nothing. But in all things, in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, man, let your request be made known to God. And listen to this promise. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind, your soul in Christ Jesus. And now I want to close by just quickly sharing with you two reasons why this is a really big deal to me. Some of you, when you heard that we're doing this series on sowing and fasting, you immediately thought, this is going to be a series on money. Some of you are thinking, oh, what does the pastor want from me? And I want you to hear right away here, from my heart to yours. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And I want 2023 to be a banner year. I want high water marks for your life. But we got to start being really intentional about our farming. And I want you, and here's one of the things I want for you. I want you to expand your love, to, to harvest a greater love for God, his mission, and one another. It doesn't come just from occasionally being at church. It, it's going to take some work. This is what I want for you. I want you to know what it means to obey God. And eventually, at the end of 2023, I'd love it if you say, You know what? I know what God's voice sounds like now. Or at the end of 2023, you could say, You know what? I've got three people in my church that I know got my back at any given time. Here's the second thing I want for you I want you to feel the freedom to confess and repent of your sin without feeling judged or condemned. Scripture says if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just, and he will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hear this. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And if you're at a place where you're not liking where you're at, then you should be able to talk about it. And no one's going to snub their nose at you. You're not, you're not going through anything that some of us haven't gone through. Some of us still going through it. But we're being honest about it. As a church, we, we have issues. Listen, Christ's place has issues. But man, we want to be a family that just gets better. gets a little bit more like Jesus. And beware of a church that looks perfect, right? I, t- I guarantee you, the church that looks perfect, that says they're doing everything right, that immediately needs you need to run from that church. Because Jesus didn't come for the perfect, he came for the hurting, the broken, the lost, those who knew they need a savior. I love, as I close here, there are some of you, if you're honest, you're you're not right with God. And I, I don't say that looking down on you. I, I've been there. Jesus was talking to the disciples in John's Gospel, chapter 4, and he had just witnessed to a woman, shared his heart with a woman who was a Samaritan, who the Jews tended to hate, and the Samaritans hated the Jews, but Jesus loved this woman. and Anyway, she goes back to her village, and she tells everybody about this man she's met, this prophet. And the village comes out, and Jesus says, look, to his disciples, man, the harvest is ripe. And there's some of you, you're not here out of circumstance. People have sown in your life, and maybe it's a praying grandma. And you're here because it's time to come home. It's time to to let your soul be right-sized with God, not because of who you are, what you've done, but because of what he's done for you. And you know where it starts, my friend? It starts with honesty, of you being honest that you're far from God. You could be the most moral person in the house and still be far from God because at our best, we're still filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. And God would love to, to welcome you, to love you. But it's going to start with your honesty. And I promise you, God will meet you. He'll meet you where you are. It's time, isn't it? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.